Sleepy town settled for the night Where every lawn is tailored just right And it's about time that the back porch light comes on What up, slut? Howdy do. Great. Good morning. I made myself a matcha latte. Here we are again. Oh, that looks good. It's very uh, frothy. It kind of looks like pesto mayo or something like that. Ew. (laughs) (laughs) Pesto mayo. Ew. We've had that matcha powder for a while. I don't even know if that stuff goes bad. But I'm like... We've had it for a while. I should probably just use the rest of it. Yeah. So I've been drinking matchas. I haven't had one in a while. So I'm just like, hmm. That's a great glass. Yeah. It's a mason jar with a a handle. Where's my chalk? I was going to write. I was going to write slut. Put slut on it today. (laughs) Get some chalk. That's cute. I don't know where my chalk went. So uh, part two. Part two. We're still talking about sluts. Here we are. Hey, which hey. Hey, which hey. I'm Justina. I'm Christina. Welcome to Magnolia Street, your one and only musically inspired practical magic fandom podcast. Every week we deep dive on different aspects of the movie and the books, as well as treat your ears to our very own practical magic inspired original music. So this is part two of Slut Praise. And last week we took on we took you guys on a little journey and discovered the OG sluts that paved the way. <laughs> yeah. Again, this week we'll have some possibly triggering words and lots and lots of opinions on both sides, as well as you guessed it, the history and where female identifying people are now with this construct. Yeah, so as a reminder, this made it onto our topics list from the very beginning, not because of that one line, since when is being a slut a crime in this family? But because throughout the movie and the books, Alice makes a point to color Jillian in this in a sex positive light. She loves who she loves and she doesn't make it complicated. Yeah, we're diving right in kind of where we left off last time. Um, We have a couple books in this episode, this part two. The first book we're going to start with was actually the first book I read in 2024. And it's it was for the purpose of this episode, but it is called Conjuring the Sex Positive, Witches, Sluts, and Feminists by Kristen J. Soleil. And the cover is really pretty badass. It's black and yellow, and it just has a set of lips, like Rocky Horror Picture Show lips, but they're black lipstick. It kind of reminds me of like Christina Aguilera during her uh, stripped phase. Do you remember the stripped phase? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. She like went completely... She dyed her hair black at one point. And she had a few different personalities throughout oh, the years. Oh, yes. Yeah. Oh, yeah. But that, I'm sorry. That's like my favorite era of hers. Her, her grungy, the grungy, grungy stripped era. Yeah. I think she just made the best music during that time. <laughs> Whatever she was going through. <laughs> <laughs> well, this book, which is Let's Feminists, Conjuring the Sex Positive is an introduction to the sex positive history of the witch. With a focus on sexual liberation, this book traces the lineage of, quote, witch feminism through art, film, music, fashion, literature, technology, religion, pop culture, and politics. It's like our show in a book. Okay. Yeah. Mixed bag. It's a mixed bag. 
I think you would really like this book. It's not long, yeah, but uh, it delves into reproductive rights, sexual pleasure, pornography, queer identity, body positivity, and sex work, and demonstrates why the, quote, slut is in many ways the, quote, witch of the 21st century. At the time, slut had recently been listed in the Atlantic's worst words of 2012. The anti-victim blaming slut walk movement, which we'll talk much more in depth about later, was also gaining traction and slut shaming was becoming a frequently covered topic in the media, playing upon the power of the word slut with both tongue-in-cheek revelry and dead seriousness. We're not going to go through each chapter there. I think I thought I listed out like the names of the chapters, but the ones that we're going to pull from, Justina and I are just going to touch on little bits that deal with our topic today. This is the beginning introduction, which is sluts feminists, and the exploration of the intertwined narratives of which is sluts feminists, the book delves into the historical use of the term witch as a tool to punish women and regulate female sexuality. Similarly, the contemporary counterpart slut has emerged as prevalent and damning epitaph in the ongoing policing of women's behavior. Despite the evolution of names and punishments over the centuries, the oppressive attitudes and behaviors towards women persist, reminiscent of the early modern witch hunts. Within the context of this book, the term witch embodies a complex symbolism, representing female divinity, ferocity, and transgression. Yet the witch remains profoundly misunderstood, mirroring the endearing societal misconceptions that have surrounded powerful women throughout history. On the other hand, the evolution of the term slut is traced from the 15th century Old English roots we talked about last episode, initially referring to a dirty or unkempt woman. Over time, it's transformed into a derogatory label for sexual promiscuous women, perpetuating harmful stereotypes. The book highlights the destructive potential of defining a woman's worth based on perceived or actual sexual activity, emphasizing the contrast of societal attitudes toward male counterparts. While terms like player and cad, are there any other ones? Uh, Bachelor, right? We talked about in our, what episode was that? Spinsters? I think spinsters. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think you're right. May define a man's sexual activity, they often carry a positive connotation, showcasing the double standard and fewer restrictions imposed on male sexual expression. Through these historical and contemporary perspectives, which is sluts feminists, this book aims to unravel the complex interplay between language, societal norms, and the persistent challenges faced by women in navigating cultural expectations, which, like slut, is difficult to define, and yet we have come to understand what it means. Number one, the first definition reflects how the witch was characterized during the witch hunting era. The witch is evil, malicious sorceress or sorcerer who is driven by the devil. The second definition follows this line of thinking into vivid aesthetic expression. The witch embodies the horror of the aging woman, the hag or the spinster, female fecundity dried up and worthlessness to the man looking for nubile flesh and a repository for his seed still grows. (laughs) Women are frightening for being unattractive, sexually unappealing and past their prime. And yet they are frightening. They are frightening when young and attractive because the witch is also charming, bewitching, beguiling and sexually irresistible with her mysterious feminine wiles. And the third definition brings us to the 12th century with the Wiccan religion movement, popularized by Gerald Gardner in the 1950s Great Britain. Wicca is a nature-based practice with adherents who often proudly bear the title of witch. Wiccans are also pagans, a group of diverse nature worshippers who number over one million in the United States. 
So let's talk about which slut are you? The medieval to the modern ages. So in Christianity, the witch's earliest ancestor is Eve, which we talked a little bit about in part one of this topic. If you want to go listen to that, that one's from last week. The original bad girl of the Bible, Eve is cast as weak and susceptible to Satan, ravenous for forbidden knowledge, preferred in apple form by his slithery minion. Eve's actions cause humankind to be cast out of paradise and sentenced to suffer for eternity. And from this origin story, of a violent strain of sexism began to solidify. Prevailing archetypes of womanhood in the Bible become virgin, obedient wife, or deviant whore. Thou shall not suffer a witch to live, states Exodus 22.18, a directive flanked by advice on how to buy a bride and why you shouldn't commit bestiality. <laughs> by the early modern era, the archetypal witch embodied the fear of female flesh unchained, devious and obscene. Everything about her flew in the face of patriarchal authority. To study this history is to peer into the abyss of fear, sexist violence, and toxic masculinity that dominates feminist discourse today. Shifting our focus to the Malleus Maleficarum, published in 1486, we encounter a connection between witchcraft and carnal lust. The infamous quote, all witchcraft comes from carnal lust, which is, in women, insatiable, end quote, highlights the gendered nature of accusations during this period. Confessions during the witch trials walk a fine line between pleasure and horror, reflecting the prevailing view that pleasurable sensory experiences were deeply sinful. As we navigate through history, Anne Barstow's Insights in Witch Craze, a new history of the European witch hunts, shed light on the legal recognition of women accused of witchcraft in the mid-16th century. This newfound legal scrutiny unveils both the vulnerability of women and the deep-seated anti-feminism in European society at the time. Specific types of women, such as adulteresses, fornicators, and midwives, were singled out in the Malleus Maleficarum, but the extent of their persecution remains unclear. Bringing this historical exploration into a modern context, Jessica Valenti's article for The Guardian titled, What Makes a Slut? The only rule, it seems, is being female, end quote that's the entire name of the article <laughs> i think we have this like more full in depth about this article in a little bit okay i think um so this draws intriguing parallels between historical witchcraft accusations and contemporary slut shaming it's not crazy how like not much has really changed since the uh, ancient time <laughs> yes crazy we like fuck it all up it's we're 20 fucking 24 people yeah. <laughs> mm-hmm so anyway, okay, so although any woman can be deemed a slut, more explicit erotic actions are an express ticket to the top of the list. And contrary to what some might think, slut shaming, aka being judged for your real or perceived sexual expression, isn't solely perpetrated by men. And weren't we just saying that in the last episode, part one, how like, I feel like most of the slut shamers I've known in my day have all been other women. Yes, they have. It's, You're it correct. Like. Uh, so a 2014 study by a cross-party think tank found that women on Twitter, on Twitter slut? Oh, on Twitter, <laughs> comma. <laughs> Punctuation is our friend. On Twitter, comma, slut shame other women almost as much as men do, maybe even more. A 2013 study by Cornell University published in the Journal of Social and Personal Relationships found that female participants rated a hypothetical woman with 20 sexual partners as less competent, less emotionally stable, I guess less warm and more dominant than a hypothetical woman who, or less dominant, I don't know if it's say more or less dominant, than a hypothetical woman who only had, say, two lovers. Right? This gives me, like, meatloaf vibes of, like, I would do anything for love, but I won't do that. 
what won't you do <laughs> there's a really really good yeah he said that his writer who passed away like the year before the guy he worked with marty martin something something or other he's like are you sure you want to word it that way do you think people will get it and meatloaf's like yeah it'll be fine and then he's like i should have taken his word for it because people don't get it yeah what well what is he saying that he won't do so okay. he lists like i like i would never lie to you i would never do this this at the beginning of uh -huh. the verse or the beginning of the song so by the time he gets to the chorus he's like i would do anything for love but i won't do that like uh -huh. i won't lie to you okay that's got that's it <laughs> thanks for clearing that up so somebody who has m many many partners is seen as less emotionally stable less warm and less dominant than somebody who only has two that's yeah i think that's what that's saying okay so this chapter so justine and i are going kind of chapter by chapter here this one's called all american witch salem's legacy throughout history female sexuality has been held responsible for both society's men and their morality this perception reached its peak in 17th century new england England, where female bodies and minds were often envisioned as dark and noxious spaces inherently inclined toward vice. Within the framework, women were considered the weaker and more corruptible sex, further reinforming their perceived link with the devil. 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 As we transition to the specific context of 17th century New England, it's notable that the Puritans, despite their strict moral code, approached witch dealings with a degree of relative chastity compared to their European counterparts. According to Stacey Schiff, New England's witches, quote, rarely enjoyed sexual congress with the devil. This departure from the European narrative reflects a nuanced perspective on female sexuality during the Salem witch trials and other American witch hunts. While patriarchal figures have historically viewed female sexuality unfavorably, unless they themselves were engaging in it, it played a comparative smaller role in the witch trials of the American colonies. So deviating just a little bit from this book for a moment to look at this article called Whores and Witches. This is, Justine, I might let you take this one. I thought this was really interesting. Um, it is a insight into the women of the Pendleton witch trials in 1612. Oh. Okay. Yeah, so this is from dangerouswomenproject.org. This article says, The text delves into the historical context of the Pendle Witch Trials in 1612, exploring the intertwining of accusations of witchcraft with societal perceptions of women's behavior, particularly regarding their sexuality. It focuses on specific cases, primarily Elizabeth Southerns and her family, accused of witchcraft due to perceived immoral conduct such as having illegitimate children and engaging in relationships outside of marriage. Elizabeth Southerns, known as Old Demdike, and her granddaughter Alison Device were targeted by Richard Baldwin, a miller. Pause. Alison Device sounds like a RuPaul drag name. <laughs> A-L-I-Z-O-N Device. Yeah, what? Alison Device. Alison. What up, Alison? <laughs> Okay. So they were targeted by this dude, Richard Baldwin. He was a Alec Miller. Alec Baldwin's other brother. <laughs> Alec Baldwin, Baldwin's bloodline. They're, yeah, an, yeah. they're early ancestors, yeah. right? Aren't the Baldwins like the Chads of Hollywood? <laughs> <laughs> so, oh so, you know, the Baldwin's earliest ancestor, Richard Baldwin, he was a Miller <laughs> who angrily referred to them as whores and witches. This verbal assault underscored a prevailing theme in the trials, the association between sexual promiscuity and devilish practices. 
These accusations stemmed from societal norms that deemed impoverished, widowed, or herbalist women as suspicious and potentially dangerous. The article dissected the Southerns and the Device family's reputation, revealing Elizabeth Southern's illegitimate child, Christopher Holgate, prior to her marriage, a widely known fact in their small community. Her daughter, Elizabeth Device, also faced scrutiny for bearing children outside of wedlock. The family lived in poverty, relying on begging for income, while their neighbors mocked and ostracized them, emphasizing their perceived moral bankruptcy and raising suspicions about their capabilities for malevolent actions. (laughs) Did you get my Marco last night? (laughs) (laughs) Foreboding. Foreboding. But in the movie, The Crucible, wasn't Winona Ryder's character like the promiscuous girl? She was. She She was. She was sleeping with John Proctor. A married man. Right? Um, But in reality, she was only like 14 years old. She wasn't even old enough to like... Yeah. That was fabricated, right? Yeah, that was for Hollywood. They wrote that into the script, but... Oh, dude, the best line, what is he says? You have brought down Salem and raised up a whore or some shit like that. I'm like, that's such a good line. (laughs) Daniel Dia De La Lewis. So handsome. Yeah, Yeah, they did depict her a little differently. Abigail Williams, a little differently in the movie than reality, right? So another case highlighted is that of Jeanette Preston. Uh, She was tried separately from the other accused, which is uh, she was accused of bewitching Master Thomas Lister, a gentleman, to death. Uh, So she bewitched him to death? Oh, shit. I don't know what, <laughs> so, what that means. Like, just, did she? Okay. My first thing is, did she have sex with him and he died during sex? Secondly, I played Sims years ago and I made Aaron and I, but Aaron aged up in The Sims before I did. And we were, our Sims were having sex and he aged up and I killed him. <laughs> oh we my God. <gasps> Witch. I know. Harley. Trollop. Aaron. Oh my goodness, that's so funny. Um, so while there were no direct accusations of illicit affairs, oh Taylor Swift has a, has a really good song, illicit affairs. Oh yeah, yeah, okay. yeah. She also has a song called "Slut." She Does just she really? really okay. Yeah, 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 right. yeah. So accusations of illicit affairs or illegitimate children against Jeanette. Hints in court transcripts suggest an underlying concern with improper sexual conduct. The relationship between Master Lister and Jeanette, subtly implied in the records, raises questions about the nature of their associations and its potential role in the accusations. The text emphasizes the significant roles societal norms regarding women's sexual behavior played in labeling them as witches. Women who deviated from accepted norms having children outside of marriage or engaging in extramarital affairs were seen as challenging the established social order. This behavior was perceived as subversive and possibly linked to dealings with the devil. The society of the time equated loose morals with witchcraft, offering a convenient accusation when no other motive sufficed. Exactly. So if he mysteriously died during sex and there was no other explanation, of course she's a witch. (laughs) So in conclusion, the trials of the Pendle witches in 1612 highlights, and this predates the Salem witch trials, 1612, Mm -hmm. um, highlights the intertwined perceptions of uh, women's behavior, sexuality, and accusations of witchcraft. These historical events serve as a lens to understand how societal norms surrounding women's conduct were leveraged to vilify and condemn those perceived as deviating from the accepted moral standards of the time. Time after time. 
tale as old as time. All right, so going back to that book that we were talking about earlier, um, this chapter is called The Midwife, Bestial Bodies and Reproductive Rights. So the association of witchcraft with sex-related crimes extended to include midwives and women involved in teaching birth control methods or providing abortifacients and abortions. This interconnected narrative reveals a historical pattern where accusations of witchcraft were often weaponized against those who held knowledge or practices related to sexual and reproductive health. And again, not much has changed today like anybody who lives in a conservative state i feel sorry for, for yeah. them uh, yeah. because doctors can't even fucking do their jobs anymore no nope. you know it just makes them more dangerous us who exactly. what fucking state was like we're so pro-life we want a death penalty for women who choose to get abortions okay I so you're gonna deal with i think it was texas if i could be wrong but i mean they're Texas is pretty bad. Fucking backwards, man. Yeah, yeah. yeah. While the execution of midwives and female healers for such reasons is now viewed as a grievous, grievous error of the past, the lingering impact persists. Many men, often in positions of power, surprise, fucking prize, continue to exhibit willful ignorance regarding biological facts concerning sexual and reproductive health. This echoes a troubling reality where religious and government officials leverage their authority to undermine female bodily autonomy, a phenomenon that remains prevalent in modern America, 100%. Illustrating this point, in 2012, Republican Senator Dick, I mean Rick Sanator <laughs> <laughs> from Pennsylvania, speaking of Pennsylvania, Pennsylvania's bananas, <laughs> did you hear about that witch on TikTok? She just runs a witch shop and she reads tarot and they're trying to like shut her shop down or like... Yeah. legally go after her Fuck there's crazy. another pennsylvanian uh somebody in like a council head council i follow and she's an active witch and she shows up to like their town meetings and shit like that all witched out that's amazing I'll have to find her and send her to you that's amazing so this rick Sen santorum from pennsylvania the senator he weighed in on the subject of contraception, echoing sentiments reminiscent of the witch trials. Santorum declared that birth control is, quote, not okay, and represents a, quote, license to do things in the sexual realm that is counter to how things are supposed to be. Fuck this guy. Fuck this guy. <laughs> this Rick statement- Santorum, suck a dick. Yeah, really. This statement reflects an alarming alignment between historical attitudes toward women's reproductive autonomy and contemporary political discourse, highlighting the enduring struggle for control over female bodies and choices. The early modern witch hunts served in part to discipline and punish female bodies. According to Silvia Federici in Caliban and the Witch, women, the body, and primitive accumulation, the witch hunts can be also linked to the contemporary development of a new sexual division of labor confining women to reproductive work. This sexual division of labor largely remains intact, and the women who seek to undermine its supremacy by exerting control over their own reproductive function are often viewed through the same lens accused witches once were. Today's sluts seeking birth control and basic reproductive freedoms are hardly different from satanic witch midwives of yesteryear. It's the handmaid's tale. That's what right. they want. Yeah, it's scary. Because more babies equal more workforce, equal more middle to lower class who they can tax. All right. Fuck move bullshit. 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 This topic makes me so angry. I know. I was editing our last episode and I could hear myself like getting like pissed. Like I was like, yes, yes. And this and we are goddesses. And yes. <laughs> oh my god yeah speaking um we're gonna continue on the next episode uh, episode the next chapter was called political witch rebellion and revolution let's start with a quote this is from samuel in the bible 1523 for rebellion is as the sin of witchcraft 
a historical figure who played a pivotal role in the reclamation of the divine feminine in the term witch is Matilda Jocelyn Gage. As the first known suffragette to embrace the term, Gage was not only an abolitionist, but also a staunch advocate for women's rights. In her 1893 work, Women, Church, and State, she provided a searing critique of patriarchal religion and its collaboration with the state. Gage's anti-clerical stance resonates even today as her writings humanize the persecution witch and influenced L. Frank Brahms' characterization of Glinda the Good Witch in The Wizard of Oz. Hmm. As Brahms' mother-in-law, the eldest stateswoman of the feminist had a major impact on his writings, saying Matilda Jocelyn Gage, foundation, founding director, Dr. Sally Resch Wagner. So is this saying that this woman, Gage, influenced the uh, Glinda the Good Witch for Frank Brom. That's cool. Baum. 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 Moving forward in time, radical feminist Mary Daly, in a 1980 introduction into a reprint of Gage's book, praised Gage's method as, quote, not merely chronologically, but chronologically. Daly emphasized the universality of Gage's work, stating that every woman can be seen as a witch and a political dissident, a concept that gained movement during the feminist explosion in the 1960s. The Women's International Terrorist Conspiracy from Hell, W-I-T-C-H, played wow. a crucial role in reviving and celebrating the witch as a political symbol. Their chant during the, quote, conspiracy against women reflects a Macbethian protest language calling attention to societal judgments and injustices faced by women. Women. The line, quote, if you are a woman and dare to look within yourself, you are a witch, encapsulates the empowering idea that every woman possesses the potential for resistance and political dissent. And that is a jet there's a witch in every woman right mm -hmm. this heady brew of macbethian protest language w-i-t-c-h crafted for their conspiracy against women chant could easily be revived today by your own activist coven double bubble war and rubble when you mess with women you'll be in trouble we're convicted of murder if abortion is planned convicted of shame if we don't have a man convicted of conspiracy if we fight for our rights and burned at the stake when we stand up to fight Ooh truth bomb fucking truth bomb Jax blackmore who's a satanic activist um, and artist she says that the idea of the witch has always been about subversive feminine power that doesn't align with conventional norms it has been used to control and demonize women consistently women who had privileged economic positions women who were smart women who had experience in medicine women who were outspoken women who were sexually promiscuous Female independence and sexual independence is still frightening because it liberates us from oppressive structures and having to rely on a patriarchal system to grant us power. And there was quite a lot in this section about the damning of Hillary Clinton during that time. This little section was called Hillary Clinton, Wicked Witch of the Left. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, this chapter okay. went in depth about the Hillary Trump race and the sheer explosion of what, and I cannot stress this enough, in the fuckery. Some of these people were thinking that year, like, what in the actual fuck? The only part I took out of this says, when, quote, bitch won't suffice to denigrate a woman, quote, witch, adds an element of supernatural evil that has no male equivalent in common use. Mm. I'm all fired up. <laughs> yeah, that whole election, that entire administration for those four years was probably the worst fucking st most stressful four years of my fucking life. Yes, absolutely. I was oh just enraged for four straight years. Exactly, exactly. Yeah. This chapter is titled Art Witch. 
wanton, woodcuts, and domestic goddesses. Um, so following the incitement of public fascination with demonic sensuality by the Malleus Maleficarum, the first illustrated witchcraft treaties emerged in 1489, authored by German legal scholar Ulrich Molitor, titled, quote, On Witches and Female Soothsayers, end quote. This groundbreaking work featured woodcut prints that brought to life the previously abstract concept of the Satan-loving sorceress. Satan! Satan! Hail Satan! <laughs> the illustrations depicted witches embracing the devil, half-human and half-animal creatures riding cooking forks, gatherings around cauldrons, and sinister conversations between wicked sisters over a meal. I'm sorry, but that sounds like a good time to me. <laughs> you want to be my wicked sister? <laughs> Let's have a good, good wicked meal. Hell yeah. Yeah. Surprisingly, between 1489 and 1669, still before the Salem Witch Trials, oh. more editions of Molitor's treaties were printed than even the Malice Malficarum itself. This raises the intriguing question of which text had a more profound impact on shaping European perceptions of witches. Molitor's work didn't merely remain confined to literature, it permeated the realm of fine art, leaving an indelible mark on influential figures like Hans Baldung Green, Albrecht Dürer, and countless others. Notably, these artists, largely men, contributed to centuries of art history portraying witches either as seductive temptresses or malevolent hags. <laughs> yeah. Reinforcing entrenched stereotypes. So fuck these guys for yeah. uh, drilling that into our uh, society's brain. But these are very beautiful art works of art, I must say. <laughs> yeah, the one is by Albrecht door and the other ones by that Hans Grain. So these will be in our notes. The, the one on the left kind of has a Gustav kind of flair it to does. it. It right? does. Uh-huh. Mm -hmm. Is that one in bot or um, that's a wood cutting, right? That's what Gustav? Yeah, I think did. so. Yeah, I think you're okay. right. Very, very cool. So however, a significant shift occurred as more female artists began to create their own interpretations of magical women. By the late 19th century, the witch transcended the limiting binary of being either a nubile temptress or a vile hag. No longer merely a visual spectacle for the male gaze, the witch acquired her own subjectivity and with it a sense of humanity. This evolution marked a turning point in the portrayal of witches as women artists brought forth diverse and nuanced representations, challenging the narrow archetypes that had dominating depictions for centuries. This next section in the book was titled Twitch of the Tongue Language as Spell. This says, Tis the Whore That Is Clamorous by Reverend Cotton Mather, Ornaments of the Daughters of Zion. And this is saying it was best to hold one's tongue, be soft-spoken, and to think before you speak. I like to uh, say that to some some men that I know. Yeah. Uh, to have a penis is to be clamorous. Today, women's language is subject to pervasive scrutiny and policing. Critiques dictate that employing up talk or vocal fries, you know, some, some girls talk like that. I fucking can't with those girls. I'm sorry. <laughs> they uh, renders us as ditzy or immature, while excessive use of the words like sorry is deemed a sign of weakness. Filter words such as like and um or just um, or what's another one we use all the time? So we, we say yeah. so a lot. I, when I edit, I try to take a lot of that out because it, it just like drives me up a wall. I'm yeah. like, God, we sound like we don't know what we're talking about. I say like so freaking uh -huh. much. It's awful. Yeah. yeah, same. So guys, we know. We're aware. I don't realize it as much until I edit and then I'm like, oh my God. Mm -hmm. I said like for like, I said like, like, like 
fifteen thousand times in the past one sentence. Yeah. Okay, we're on the same page. We get but it. Yeah. 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 Um, these words are cautioned against with the implication that they undercut our intelligence and betray a lack of confidence in our ideas. Yet within the realm of female speech lies the potential space for resistance. Words like witch, slut, and feminist carry transformative power. While society may use these terms to police and persecute women, they also become bittersweet bedfellows in female empowerment. Coined as, quote, Dark types, like darkotypes, like archetypes. Oh, okay. I'm dumb. Yeah. Darkotypes, these evocative designations are both nebulous and impactful, often revealing more about the labelers than those labeled. Slut and witch encapsulate the stereotypes imposed on women in the male-dominated world, yet they also signal a form of female empowerment. Some women, in navigating the complexities of patriarchal perspectives, embrace these words with transgressive gusto, simultaneously accepting and refuting societal norms. I love the new W-I-T-C-H, woman, woman in total control of herself, because it's yes. like we took back the power, of, we took back that word. So you Absolutely. can no longer use it and spin it as a negative thing because now it means we're in control of our own shit and totally. you can't take that away from us. <laughs> totally. <laughs> so pissed. I think that's what people are trying to do with this word slut. So yeah. sexual doula Evian, Evian, E-V apostrophe Y-A-N, Whitney, spreads the slut positive gospel of sex, love, and liberation through her blog and coaching service of the same name, and embraces the slut identity. After documenting her own struggles with sexual self-acceptance and erotic redemption through deeply personal writings on the subject, Whitney didn't take her newfound freedom and run, but instead now dedicates her days to midwifing other women through the same processes. She defines slut as, quote, a sexually liberated woman, someone who completely owns her erotic self, who loves her sexual body and gives herself permission to express and actualize her desires however she chooses. That's great. Radical feminist philosopher Mary Daly, I think we mentioned her earlier, concludes with a new spin on the C word? Cunt? Cunt? No, crone. Okay, wait. (laughs) (laughs) I like how we're on the same page there. (laughs) It says, quote, for women who have transvaluated this, a crone is one who should be an example of strength, courage, and wisdom, which hag, crone, slut. Feminist, there is alchemy within these words. If language can be used to suppress dissent against arbitrary and abusive authority and to name and vilify others, then perverting and reclaiming language can be used to challenge those very systems of oppression. You can't take words out of the mouths of oppressors, but you can subvert the intended meanings of their words. That's right. That's fucking right. It is always an imperfect process, but when women use terms like witch and slut strategically and repeatedly, they can help remove the sting of savage history that lies within their syllables. Just what Justine was saying. Queer was once a derogatory term for gay people, but because the gay community's collective action to wrest it away from the bigots, it is now embraced as the umbrella term for anyone who doesn't identify as cisgender and or heterosexual. Similarly, the word dyke was once an epitaph used to describe gay women but is now proudly voiced by lesbians around the world we are reclaiming and remodeling words used to describe us words used to belittle our bodies and sexuality woman mother bitch whore frigid aggressive cunt there it is i love the word cunt (laughs) pussy in the process we are reclaiming our lives did you ever see the sex in the city episode where um charlotte she like she gets her hoo-ha painted by a painter no and his wife walks in with a tray of like cookies and lemonade and she's like you have a beautiful cunt <laughs> what the fuck 
fucking hysterical. That show is off the rails. That show is bananas. And I think that show is probably like one of the first shows that I ever saw as, you know, a woman uh, coming into my womanhood that just like made it okay for women to just be sluts. We have a bit on that in our next episode. So pop culture, right? I'm We're going to get like into pop culture. all of that. Yeah, our pop culture section. Cool, cool. cool. So this last okay. little bit is a quote. It says, the tongue is a witch. And that's mm -hmm. by an Anglican minister of the name George Webb. He famously said this in 1619. And witches, sluts, and feminists are wielding its formidable power with magic in mind. This next chapter, this is all about sex magic, the tools of pleasure. Heinrich Kramer, in his writing, specifically targeted, quote, female fornicators, categorizing them as women who were often identified as frequent sorceresses. Well before the publication of his tome, tales circulated about witches allegedly perverting domestic tools associated with womanhood for their own pleasure and using them to embark on airborne journeys. Okay, we're talking about a broomstick here. <laughs> <laughs> Embarking on airborne journeys to or orgiastic Sabbaths. Yeah. And I'm pretty sure he's also talking about uh, flying ointment. Remember we had that mm -hmm. conversation? Yes. Uh, yeah, yeah. The witch hunts of the time were characterized by an intense focus and obsession with female sexuality viewed as an abomination when expressed independently of men. This historical context sparks a reflection on contemporary issues highlighting the persistent debates surrounding sexuality. Even in present day, Alabama, a state where sex toys remain- WHAT?! Remain illegal?! Alabama, Echoes. what are what you doing? Alabama? Uh, that's- okay. I'm just gonna keep going. <laughs> She's so mad. Echoes of the historical narratives emerge. The parallels draw attention to the enduring societal complexities and regulatory frameworks surrounding female sexuality, emphasizing how discussions initiated during historical witch hunts still resonate in modern debates over personal autonomy and sexual expression. You wanna take a deep breath? <laughs> what the fuck? Some states, I just don't understand. I don't get it. I don't get it. The next section was entitled The Spell of Seduction, Sex Work, and The Sacred Horror. We talked a little bit about in our last episode. See, so, my whole thing is like, if it's not hurting you, then what the fuck do you care what people are doing with their bodies? Hard none. Do what you want. One historical figure who uniquely blended the spiritual and the sexual was the sacred whore. These women served as priestesses in ancient Mesopotamia, Greece, and India, embodying the goddess of love in temples they presided over. Through sexual encounters with these priestesses, worshippers believed that they attained heightened states of religious connection. Merlin Stone in When God Was a Woman describes these priestesses' ability to induce divine ecstasy in their lovers, emphasizing the sacred and holy nature of sex as a gift from the female deity. I actually have this book. Oh, yeah? It's really good. It has, I thought I put in some of its chapters here. Maybe we touch on it again later. I cannot yeah. recommend this book enough. The chapters that probably would go along with this, if you guys do have this book, are uh, chapter seven. It's called The Sacred Sexual Customs. And then chapter eight, they offered incense to the Queen of Heaven, had most of the stuff we're talking about today. I okay. really love this book. Very cool. 
where I leave off. The archetype of the sexual whore is presented in both myths and historical documents. The Code of Hammurabi Babylonian Law around 1754 BC offers special protections for temple prostitutes, and Greek historian Herodotus disapprovingly mentions sex rituals in the Temple of Ishtar in the 5th century BC. Mesopotamian, Syrian, and Hebrew texts also link terms to sacred women with prostitution, contributing to ongoing discussions about the prominence of the sacred whore. While, while some argue for its historical validity, others attribute it to translation errors. Eve G's personal connection to the shadowy history sparks her fascination as she intuited a shared path with these priestesses during her experiences. The record on the subject remains incomplete, requiring both lay people and historians to discern biases and intentions in historical accounts of sacred whoredom. <laughs> Writer and educator Britta Love, emphasizing the challenges in parsing evidence, acknowledging the difficulty in separating historical facts from Western and patriarchal biases. The discourse around the sacred whore has evolved over time, with late 19th century writers portraying orgies and temples, second wave feminists critiquing it as a male fantasy, and modern perspectives ranging from exploitive fundraising to more nuanced interpretations. When examining the intricate connections between sexuality and spirituality, the focus isn't always on concrete proof. Instead, the discourse surrounding the sacred whore delves into the mystic and archetypal, acknowledging the complexity of historical narratives shaped by diverse perspectives and biases. This next chapter is called Queering the Witch, Porn, Pleasure, representation. And uh, this quote is from the feminist porn book and it says, society's dread of women who own their desire and use it in ways that confound expectations of proper female sexuality persists. End quote. So the witch what uh, has always embodied the sexual fears of men, whether they be of women finding sexual pleasure without them, emasculating them, or even castrating them. Mm. Portrayals of the woman as witch have thus reflected an unquenchable desire for the female sex mixed with fear, straddling horror, or and pleasure, disgust, and arousal. In a historical first, President Obama spoke out about this omnipresent issue addressing the sexual double standards that have plagued women since well before the witch trials. He said, we need to change the attitude that punishes women for their sexuality, end quote. He said this during the 2016 White House Summit on the United States of Women. Oh, and he goes on to say, it punishes women, but it gives men a pat on the back for their sexuality. A month later, the president outed himself as a feminist in an article he wrote for Glamour magazine, doubling down on his previous proclamation. I fucking love that. Hell yeah. That's awesome. You go, Obama. You go, Barack. The next section, uh, I think it continues on a little bit more with fashions called Undressing the Witch Fashion Style Sartorial Spells. During the witch hunting era, the word quote, glamour meant a magic spell, an illusion fabricated by a witch. Now it refers to an aesthetic practice that many women embrace, whether a surface transformation tailored through makeup and fashion or something far more spellbinding. Like the witch, the slut is ever present on the catwalk too. While more fabric often means more witchy, leaving less to the imagination is the slut's job. Slut fashion is slightly trickier to pin down, but it is most often a designation given to clothing that's barely there or that incorporates the signifiers of wild animals like leopard, like, yeah, the leopard print, cheetah print, snake, zebra. They become the surrogate skins of the untamed woman. That's right. Oh, I never thought about that. In 2013, T Magazine heralded the end of slut style, 
fashion critic Susie Mengus wrote, Out of Italy has come a fashion miracle, a look that suddenly puts, quote, a moda da putana. da putana. Hooker chic. Oh my God, it's so right funny. Right out of Vogue. Instead, she praised high button collars, long skirts, and long sleeves. You don't know how much I heard that word growing up. Yeah. <laughs> Like if you if I was trying to walk out of the house wearing red lipstick, I would be called the putana. Yeah, yeah. Remember? Do you remember the Marco that I sent you like ages ago? And yes! she was, she was going through my closet of all my like my hoochie mama dresses of like my dresses that I wore to clubs in my twenties. She's like, you you walked out of the house wearing this, and I was like, you fucking let me. <laughs> I never would have let you. And I was like, well, you did. <laughs> but so, like I said. My mother's still slut shaming me to this day. So, <laughs> oh god. Anyway, um, so before we dive into more fashion-related information uh, concerning the formation of slut walks, let's touch back on an article that was mentioned a little bit ago, and this is called "What Makes a Slut." The only rule, it seems, is being female. And that article is by Jessica Valenti. She says, Sandra Fluke heard it when she talked about insurance coverage for birth control. Sarah Brown from Boston told me she was first called it at a pool party in the fifth grade because she was wearing a bikini. Courtney Caldwell in Dallas said she was tagged with it after being sexually assaulted as a freshman in high school. Many women, I asked, even said that it was not having sex that inspired a young man to start rumors that they were one. This is what is so confounding about the word slut. It's arguably the most ubiquitous slur used against women, and yet it's nearly impossible to define. The one thing we do know about, quote, slut, is that it's the last thing a woman would want to be. Society is so concerned over women and girls' potential for promiscuity that we create dress codes, school curricula, even legislations around protecting women's supposed purity. Fuck that dress code shit yeah. about shoulders not being out in the open. And you went to Catholic school, right, growing yeah. up? Yeah. Did you guys have the dress code, like, the skirt's gotta be, like... Under touching your... the knee or something yes. like that yeah, yeah. and yeah, yeah. all the girls would roll up the top <laughs> but yeah you had to stand there and it had to be below like an inch below your fingertips right yeah i mean even pub- i went to public school growing up and even public schools had those rules like if you mm-hmm. wore shorts like in the summer when it was hotter like toward the end of the school year yeah your fingertips had to be touching where your shorts ended mm-hmm. yeah even in high school we couldn't wear tank tops Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Our arms couldn't be showing. So conservative columnists opine that women have sex is a tantamount to a, quote, mental health crisis. And magazine stories wonder if we're raising a generation of prostitutes. I've been totally guilty of calling people a prostitute because, like, you know, you walk around town and the town, we have a town fair every year. And that's when they all come out. The, the girls in high school wearing like the mm-hmm. really short belly shirts and the really short shorts. And I'm just like, my mother would never have let me out of the house. I know. And that last <laughs> that that age, last episode when we talked about like just watching the little ones we nanny grow up to be young ladies. Yeah. I'm just like, <sighs> yeah. just and be listen, careful. I'm totally guilty of it. Last week, I took Molly and her friends to the mall mm-hmm. and she's 12, mm-hmm. right? 11, 12. She walked out of the house wearing a midriff and her belly was showing and no coat. She had like one little sweater with her. And first of all, first of all, it's January. This girl never wears a coat and I'm yelling at her for wearing the coat, but like we're at the mall and you know, her friends are dressed in like sweatshirts and like age appropriate. And like, I don't want to be that person that's going to slut shame a 12 year old. But at the same time, like I don't want men, gross men looking at her in the mall. 
yeah. because I know that's what's going to happen. Mm-hmm. So it's more out of, out of a protection standpoint. Like Totally understandable. You know, I'm not trying to like regulate and I'm not her mother. So at the end of the day, yeah. it's up to her mom, like what she lets her walk out of the house wearing. Totally. Yeah. But I was just like, Molly, put your sweater on. <laughs> put your sweater on. Yeah. And she's like, what? What's wrong with what I'm wearing? And I'm just like, I'm not going to have this discussion. You're 11. You're 11. And there's gross people in the world. So just putting that out there. I think yeah. when age is a factor, mm. it's appropriate to have concern. Yeah. Right. If it's over 18 and they're out flaunting what they have, whatever. Right. But honey, we got to protect you. Unfortunately, right. because men. Yeah. <sighs> Yeah, exactly. And then, <laughs> you know, and then she wants to go off to this store with her friends by herself. And I'm just like, with all the fucking sex traffickers walking around. Oh, my God. I'm like, no, no, you're not going there by yourself, especially not wearing that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, you know, it's just out of love. I'm not trying to slut shame a 12 year old. I'm just trying to do my mama bear job. I know you're a good mama um, bear. Anyway. Um, so Lenora Tannenbaum, the author of Slut, Growing Up Female with a Bad Reputation, told me that a, quote, slut is just a girl or woman who deviates from norms of femininity. The, quote, slut is not necessarily sexually active. She just doesn't follow the gender script. So basically, if you guys want to read more on this book, it's by Leora Tannenbaum, and um, it got a 4.5 out of a 5-star rating. It only has 66 ratings, but um, it's got a 3.9 on Goodreads. So girls may be called sluts for any number of reasons, including being outsiders, early developers, victims of rape, targets of others' revenge. Often the labels has nothing to do with sex. The girls simply do not fit in. An important account of the lives of these young women, slut weaves together powerful oral histories of girls and women who finally overcame their sexual labels with an analysis of the underlying problem of sexual stereotyping. Author Leora Tenenbaum herself was labeled a slut in high school. The confessional article she wrote for Seventeen about the experience caused a sensation and led her to write this book. And I was saying that a little bit in our last episode when we were talking about our own experiences in high school. And like, I was such a late bloomer. Well, number one, because my family was pretty strict as far as Mm -hmm. like dating went. But like also high school comes with that. It's just such a judgmental period of time in like a kid's life. I honestly, I didn't want rumors flying around about me. You know, I just like, didn't even want to deal with it. I understand. I mean, you're bound to be called a slut, like even if you don't have sex with multiple people. One or, way or another. One way or another, you're going to be labeled a slut for whatever fucking reason. If the patriarchy doesn't like you, you're either a slut or a witch. Or a witch. Or, mm-hmm. Yeah, so we, we, we can't win. <laughs> or slump, yeah. a swamp slut. Swamp slut. T-shirts now but, available in our in Teespring. Yeah, but now like having this discussion and like opening the can of worms on this topic, I feel like it's easier to embrace those terms nowadays and take back that control. Uh, I understand. I think, like I said, uh, being a serial monogamous in high school, I always wore like dude clothes. I was part of the like the bleh crowd. <laughs> the bleh crowd. <laughs> bleh. But there were girls who I... No, I was like, wow, she's wearing that to school. And I liked the getting away with it. But on the yeah. other hand, I'm like, wow, I can't believe she feels comfortable enough to wear that to school. Right. And I remember specifically like home, not homecoming, it was prom. Yeah. And I was runner up and they called the girl's name who actually won. And somebody, the girl beside me said something like, oh, we all know how she got that. <gasps> oh, shit. Damn. I'm just here to party. <laughs> I'm going home. I must say, though, like I was friends with most of the promiscuous girls in high school oh yeah i was friends with all of them 
Um, and honestly, like I got along with them a lot more than I got along with the popular conservative girls. Mm, you know, I see. Uh, I wasn't trying to, you know, live that life, but mm -hmm. <laughs> I appreciated. I respected them. Yeah, teach me your ways. <laughs> <laughs> teach me your slutty ways. <laughs> anyway. So, um, going on, is this the same, this nebulous, yes. quantifiable quality of The ne nebulous thing is yeah. the article still. Okay, so yeah, so this is still part of the Jessica Valenti article. This says, this nebulous, unquantifiable quality of the slur is what makes it so distressing. There's no way to disprove something that has no conclusive boundaries to begin with, and because it's meant to be more of an identity than a label, it's a term not easily shaken off quote, slut, sticks to a person in a way that asshole never will. So what makes you a slut? It seems the only hard and fast rule is that you have to be a woman. Men, of course, are immune, absent, really, from the frenzy of concern. For instance, a new study out of the University of Michigan showed that teen girls who, quote, sexed, are called sluts, while boys who do the same remain free from judgment. In another example, the American Medical Association breathlessly released a study in 2006 with the headline, quote, sex and intoxication more common among women on spring break, end quote, intended to warn women about their, quote, risky behavior while on break. But there was nothing about the men, the majority of these young women would supposedly be having all this drunken sex with. <laughs> As always, women are sluts and men are, well, men. For those who haven't had the pleasure of being called promiscuous, it may be hard to understand just how profound an impact it can have. Women's value and morality are closely, though wrongly, tied to their sexuality. So the term slut or any of its variations is an accusation with power behind it. Um, so going on to say the power and weight that this word has, multiple girls have taken their own lives as of late after being slut shamed, an indication that the slur shows little sign of waning in the damage it does personally. So Tannenbaum, whose forthcoming book is I Am Not a Slut, Slut Shaming in the Age of the Internet, said that many of the girls she interviewed had intentionally embraced the term slut or the slut label as a badge of honor to advertise their sexual impairment. But she added, they ended up losing control of the label when their peers turned it against them. Broader efforts to reclaim the word via marches like slut walks, for instance, have largely failed. While the anti-rape protests that spread across the country a few years ago were popular in terms of attendance and media coverage, and um, the author of this says she was an early supporter, many women felt the word slut was irredeemable, especially women of color for whom racist stereotypes about their supposed innate promiscuity always presented a unique danger. The slut idea hurts women politically as well. A safe contraceptive and a cancer vaccine were both held up for years because of fears they would make women, quote, slutty, and Anti-choice legislators and activists insist that abortion providers are in the business of promiscuity and use that accusation as a way to defund critical health care providers like Planned Parenthood. Are you mad? Because I'm mad and everybody yeah. listening should be fucking mad That's right now. That's enraging. So what is a quote slut then? It's any of us and it's all of us, especially those of us who step out of line in some way, real or imaginary. It has little to do with the number of our sexual partners or the way we dress or flirt or if we take birth control or not. It's a warning more than a word, a reminder to women that we must adhere to the narrow standards of femininity and sexuality set out for us or be punished accordingly. And in that way, the real meaning of slut is 
terrifyingly clear. So let's talk about the slut walk. This is a global movement against rape culture and victim blaming, and it emerged in 2011 after a Toronto police officer's controversial remark. The movement, originating in Canada, rejects the idea that a person's clothing justifies sexual assault. Co-founder Sonia Barnett and Heather Jarvis redefined the term slut as empowering, challenging societal norms. Despite facing criticism for their ideology and methods, Slut Walk sparked international conversations addressing systematic issues in how society perceives sexual assault. This follows Constable Michelle Sanguinetti. Yeah. On January 24th, 2011, to Toronto Police Constable Oh, it's Mike, Michael. Michael oh. Sanguinetti and another officer from 31st Division spoke on crime prevention, addressing the issue of campus rape at a York University safety forum at Osgoode Hall Law School. During the talk, Sanguinetti interrupted the more senior officer and said, I've been told I'm not supposed to say this. However, women should avoid dressing like sluts in order not to be victimized. Wow. Wow, Sanguinetti. Mm. After an article that reported on the situation received international attention, Sanguinetti apologized for the remark, saying, I made a comment which was poorly thought out and did not reflect the commitment to the Toronto Police Service to the victims of sexual assault. Violent crimes such as sexual assault can have a traumatizing effect on their victims. My comment was hurtful in this respect. I'm embarrassed by the comment I made, and it shall not be repeated. Let's just go out on a limb here and say that he said it because that's how he feels, and he's mm -hmm. just retracting it now to cover his ass. And oh, yeah. sure, I'm keep sure his job. Feels, I'm sure he feels the same way. Yeah, even if he, you know, tried to, you know, cover his ass. Yeah, fuck that guy. <laughs> the movement gained traction following Justice Robert Dewar's controversial remarks during a Winnipeg sexual assault case. Slutwalk played a significant role in highlighting the case, leading to Dewar's apology and the overturning of the conviction. This incident underscored the need to address systematic issues within the justice system. So their website states, we are tired of being oppressed by slut shaming, of being judged by our own sexuality and feeling unsafe as a result. Being in charge of our sexual lives should not mean that we are opening ourselves to an expectation of violence, regardless if we participate in sex for pleasure or work. No one should equate enjoying sex with attracting sexual assault. The inaugural slut walk in Toronto in 2011 exceeded expectations, drawing over 3,000 participants. The movement emphasizes rejecting victim blaming, slut shaming, and sexual profiling. Subsequent global events continue advocating for a world free from fear and victimization. Slutwalk's key message is to challenge harmful narratives surrounding sexual assault survivors and promote empowerment. The movement advocates for a society where clothing choices do not justify violence. Despite facing criticism, Slutwalk has sparked crucial conversations uniting individuals globally against rape culture. In essence, Slutwalk serves as a powerful platform for dialogue pushing back against societal norms and advocating for a world where no one is blamed or shamed based on their appearance. Um, I don't know if those are still going on. I don't know if they're annual. I don't know if they are still a thing. Yeah. Right. Interesting. Okay, so now we're going to talk a little bit about slut shaming versus player praising sexual inequality, I guess, men versus women, right? Why are women 
looked down upon for embracing their sexuality and men are just praised for it. This is from insightunr.com. So sexual equality is not gender equality. Sexual equality is the freedom to express yourself and your sexual desires on a healthy, appropriate level, just as much as the opposite sex. It's being able to initiate courtship just because it's what you want. It's not being afraid of what people will think of you or your behavior. Sexual equality is being able to freely communicate and act on your sexual desires so long as it harms none without fear of being shunned or outcast. Sexual equality is the idea of treating men and women as equals, whether it's a long-term, committed relationship, or a casual hookup. In her book, Hard to Get, 20-something Women and the Paradox of Sexual Freedom, Psychotherapist Leslie Bell talks about social pressures young women encounter when it comes to sex. She mentions a 28-year-old girl named Claudia, whose, quote, family would be horrified if they knew about the number of sexual partners she'd had, that they would be devastated and disappointed, end quote. Claudia is a sexually active young woman who has difficulty coping with her desires, yet enjoys, quote, the pleasure of being touched by someone she found so attractive, end quote. While men feel free to express and indulge in such desires, women are held to a higher societal standard. Bell describes how many young women struggle, quote, in how to manage their own desires to get what they want from sex and love, end quote. Women are burdened with socialized sexual restraint and a forced moral responsibility that is not experienced by their male counterparts. Men, for the most part, have the freedom to have sexual relationships without facing familial or societal judgment or condemnation. Women are held to strict expectations when it comes to their sexuality. Quote, despite all the advances of women over the past 50 years, these experiences are frequently split into masculine and feminine ones, with the masculine being overvalued socially and psychologically, end quote. Women have made leaps and bounds in the professional world, yet have not made much progress in harnessing their right to freely express themselves the same way as men do sexually. While it may seem perfectly reasonable for women to be able to conduct themselves in an equal manner as men, there is a fine line between being experimental and being a slut. While gender equality has made significant advances, it still needs work and it, it is not sexual equality. Uh, the current average age of first sexual intercourse for girls is 17, leaving 10 years of sexual and relationship activity before the current average age of marriage at 27. That leaves an average period of 10 years for a young woman to navigate adult life and develop adult relationships, but that can be easier said than done. Women, quote, often contend with messages from their families families, religions, and partners that they ought not to be sexually assertive or sexually active at all, end quote. Women are free to live their lives how they choose and exercise their personal freedoms, yet from multiple angles, those freedoms are severely limited. In a way, a woman's sexual freedom is merely an illusion of freedom. If an age of unprecedented gender equality, women are still being taught what is and is not acceptable behavior of them. Quote, instead of feeling free, 20-something women are weighed down by vying cultural notions about the kind of sex and relationships they should be having in their 20s, end quote. Young women hear so many different viewpoints on how they should live their lives that many don't even know what they want. Some look for husbands as soon as possible, whereas others have embraced the idea of sexual exploration and experimentation to the point of blocking out any kind of potential serious relationship. Quote, with relationships, women hear that they ought to use their 20s to live it up and not necessarily to be serious about relationships. End quote. It is not uncommon for 20-something-year-old women to fear being tied down, even when it comes to passing up a real opportunity for a happy and healthy relationship. Human beings need affectionate interaction for optimal emotional stability. Bell states that, quote, young women often struggle to admit that they need anyone, but it's particularly difficult to say that they need a man, end quote. 
In wanting desperately to prove their independence, women may be leading healthy sex lives but closing themselves off to love. Music and television shows flood our minds with archetypes of the, quote, independent woman, yet every young woman is closely monitored by those around her for evidence of any, quote, slutty behavior. The Destiny's Child song, which I'm pretty sure we've mentioned before, The Independent Woman Part 1, called on young girls and women in 2000 to aspire to rely completely on themselves. The house, the house I live in, I bought it, car I'm driving, I bought it, I depend on me, I depend yes. on me. Yeah. So these are powerful lyrics. So for, uh, for young girls growing up in households with married stay-at-home moms, it might seem like in order to attain those goals, a girl should never become a married mother. Add another tense factor, the ticking clock. Bell says that modern women spend their 20s uh, hearing gloomy forecasts about their chances of marriage if they don't marry before 30. Dude, I was 31. I think I was 31 or 32 when I got married. I think I was 23 the first time. Way yeah. too young, everybody. You don't even know who you are as a person at 20. I, I 28, 29 next time. 29. The second time? Yes. Yeah, but like, I feel like like you don't even you still don't even know who you are. You're like fresh out of high school, out of mm -hmm. college at that point. Like my mom had me at 23, so oh she got married even younger than that. Maybe that's so scary. Yeah, yeah, she was a baby when she had me. Mm -hmm. A baby having a baby. Uh huh. Babies having babies. Um, babies having babies. And but also their chances of conceiving a baby if they don't get pregnant before 35. You know they won't uh, take your eggs if you're over 29. What? And I was like. Can I still sell my eggs? I cannot. No. Too old. They expire. <laughs> they won't take my eggs. <laughs> Pretty sure mine are drying up at this point. <laughs> um, so one idea that echoes throughout a woman's 20s is have fun as long as you can, but quit before you fall behind. Here are two prevalent yet contradictory views on how young women should live their lives. Bell believes that, quote, splitting, which is a tendency to think in either or patterns and to insist that one cannot feel two seemingly contradictory desires at once, has become a widespread sociological phenomenon among young women, end quote. Bell describes how the harsh difficulty of trying to reconcile opposing viewpoints within oneself lead women to develop anxieties about sexual relationships. She elaborates. Confused about freedom and what it is to be a woman today, young women often split their social and psychological options into independence, strength, safety, and control versus relatedness, vulnerability, need, and desire, as though they're mutually exclusive and not equally important to human development. College-age women aspire to be as free, strong, and independent as possible so they learn to fear anything that can undermine those qualities or be perceived as weakness. Quote, vulnerability, needs, desire, and intimacy then often become new taboos for young women, experiences to be avoided rather than embraced. In this way, women can become their own worst enemies, as not knowing how to deal with these confusing and conflicting ideologies can become very frustrating and self-detrimental. Even the sexual health of women is less important to society than the sexual health of men. In her USA Today article, Women's Sexual Health Deserves Equal Attention, Laura Berman points out that Viagra was approved for the treatment of male impotence in 1998, yet there is still no FDA-approved medication for successful treatment of female sexual dysfunction. 
This is another indication that society values the sexual experiences of men over those of women. In a study titled Scripting Sexual Passivity, a Gender Role Perspective, researchers state that college-age women who reported engaging in passive sexual behavior also reported less sexual arousability. So by conforming to traditional gender roles, sexually passive women are effectively enjoying sex less than women with developed sexual agency. Berman states that, quote, in addition to low sexual desire, women can also have problems with arousal, orgasm, and pain, end quote. Alleviating these issues would seem to benefit both sexes, so why hasn't it happened yet? Why is the sexual agency of males more important than that of females? In a study titled Young Women's Struggles for Sexual Agency, the role of parental messages, researchers define sexual agencies as initiative taking, awareness of desire, and the individual's confidence and freedom to express sexuality in behaviors. The study confirmed uh, what several previous studies have stated about the way the modern world views sexuality with each gender. It seems there's a double standard that young men's sexual behavior is typical and expected, an innate healthy desire that must be expressed. However, young women's sex is viewed as inherently more dangerous, more suspect, and thus must be controlled. Does this sound like the world we live in? Men are expected to hit on women, not the other way around. I'm sorry, but I went after my husband. He did not pursue me. <laughs> there you go. Nice. <laughs> I had to propose to my own husband. Did, that's right, you did. Come on, man. Look at us. Look at us going against societal standards. Look at us. Isn't Queen Elizabeth? But like, I'm saying like, does that make us sluts? <laughs> hey, slut, hey. Are we a slut? <laughs> yeah, so there is a birth control pill for women, not for men. For ages, women have been socialized into being passive and obedient to men. Less than a century ago, women couldn't even vote. That is a significant system of control that was only relatively recently relinquished. It isn't fair that it's condonable for men to have sex with whoever they want, whenever they want, when that very philosophy is considered repulsive when utilized by women. Uh, researchers state that, quote, traditional gender-based sexual roles dictate sexual passivity for women but sexual agency for men, end quote. Men are sometimes even encouraged to have sex with as many women as possible, a goal that is somehow immoral for women. Like American Pie, right? Like that entire movie... All those dudes are just trying to get laid. Part of me these days is like, how did they even get away with making that movie? A lot of movies in the 90s, or even before that, like a lot of yeah. movies growing up are so one-sided. Like, oh, that's so cringy. All the double standards in yeah. early 90s teen mm. movies. So in American society, there is a huge responsibility on women and men to experience sex within the limitations of their gender roles. Men are expected to do the courting. Men are expected to entertain sexual pursuits. Shannon K. Gilmartin, senior research scientist at the California Institute of Technology, finds, quote, the pressure men feel to be sexually active just as intense as the pressure to avoid sex and stifle sexual feelings among women, end quote. Men are more or less expected to fool around with as many women as they want. Women are expected to engage in conventional dating and traditional relationships and to, quote, avoid at all costs being viewed as a slut, end quote. Women have to constantly make choices, keeping in mind their best image. These differences in societal limitations come from subtle and insidious cultural factors such as the patriarchy. They stigmatize sexual activity outside of the marriage bed. If a man engages in sexual activity on a frequent basis with possibly multiple partners, he is sometimes referred to as a player. I don't wanna be a player no more. Don't want no scrubs. By people who know him and praise for his behavior. If a woman engages in sexual activity outside of a stable relationship, she is often met with remarks such as slut, 
and shamed for anything near the same behavior. Gil Martin explains that women are held to exacting and conflicting standards of femininity that demand they be sexually desirable and chaste at the same time, which often leads to confusion surrounding sex, disassociation from sexual feelings, and uninformed decisions about sex. Women are expected to be sexy virgins, to wait for men to initiate every step of courtship. When they stray from this a sociocultural script, their behavior is seen as deviant. These societal boundaries can create anxious or guilty feelings about sex or drive a woman to close herself off emotionally. It is such a mixed bag of like what we're expected to be, right? right. Um, yes, be the perfect housemaker, be um, charming, and but also be a slut in the bedroom, but also don't be a slut on the streets. But do, you right. know, like, what the fuck? I think there was, I don't think I included it, but there was a little portion of another article that was um, a husband didn't want oral sex from his wife because because she's the mother of his children and she kisses yeah. the children with that mouth. And he was like, no, yeah, I don't. Yeah. What the fuck? I'm so confused. Yeah. Or as Ludacris said, right? Was it Ludacris? A lady in the streets, but a freak in the bed. There you go. <laughs> I think that's Ludacris. I don't know. I don't listen to a lot of rap, but I'm pretty sure. Yeah. I don't think it was him that said that. There's a book I just read called Latte Darling, and it was kind of like an age gap romance kind of thing. And his thing was like, darling in the streets, but daddy in the sheets or something like that. I'm like, oh, oh shit. scandalous. You've been oh, reading shit. a lot of okay. scandalous shit lately. I know. <laughs> it's fine. I'm hitting my read goal for the year. Okay, okay. Awesome, awesome. Uh, so the research team in the average study found that, quote, almost every participant described a fear of sex and connected this fear to general insecurities about sexuality, end quote. What kind of world are we living in when women are afraid of sex? This fear only increases the passivity that was socially engineered to keep men dominant of women. Researchers found that, quote, passive behavior is linked to diminished sexual satisfaction for men as well as women, end quote. So this means that developing sexual agency is the key to any person, male or female, enjoying their sex life to the fullest. Women need to be actively passionate about their sexuality, and until women see themselves as sexual actors with desires, needs, and priorities of their own, and not merely as objects of men to be desired, they will never, never, they will never be, <laughs> they will never be capable of true and full sexual health, end quote. I don't feel like a sexy person. I'm a hobgoblin troll. You do I. Yeah. Can I tell you? This might be a little too much information. My mother bought me this beautiful negligee for my wedding night, right? Okay, yeah. I didn't fucking wear it. <laughs> Put on sweatpants after my wedding because I was exhausted. Like, I didn't want to give I, Avi any false hope. Like, this is what you're getting the last thing i wanted to do was fucking put that on you know after wearing a dress and heels all day i just wanted my sweatpants and a pillow i'm pretty sure i fell asleep in the lobby when everybody else was partying oh gosh, hell yeah shutting party. it down everybody fell everybody was partying at the hotel after the wedding and i was passed out on the lobby couch because i was exhausted gotcha. oh my gosh yeah. that's funny but 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 yeah like i am not too into lingerie like no not even it? just like dressing that way but like exuding or feeling confident about i don't Being know sexual? when we in my single years there have been men that have said oh like yeah i was into you i was like if i saw you across the room there is no way in hell i would have had the confidence to go and talk to you you are mm -hmm. way too good looking like you're a good looking dude there yeah. was a movie i was getting to a point but there's a show called z I think we talked yeah. about it ages ago, but it's Zelda Fitzgerald's story, basically. Christina Ricci okay. plays her. Oh. And I, it's a really 
really good series. There's also a, a book that kind of led me into a depression, but her character, her depiction of her, she's so comfortable with her sexuality. Like after watching yeah. that, I was like, oh, I can be a little minx too sometimes, but that was short-lived for sure. <laughs> a little minx. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but yeah, most of the time I'm just like, Erin, you get what you get, honey. Yeah. Kind of the same. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry, Avi. <laughs> So in her study, Changes in College Women's Attitudes Towards Sexual Intimacy, Gilmartin conducted a very thorough case of 14 college women. By interviewing the women during their freshman and sophomore years, Gilmartin discovered that their perceptions about sex did change over time. The freshman women described sex as, quote, risky, scary, and instrumental. Do you think it's because the men are having so much sex with so many people? Like, they yeah. don't want to catch their nasty diseases right oh go ahead keep reading I, I just, sorry no i'm just like thinking in my brain like i want to keep quoting sex in the city but i'm just like just keep reading <laughs> there's so many like sex in the city references like i'm just like popping in my bursting. brain just sling them out when you think about them and keep bursting well the one that i was just thinking about what you just said girls are afraid of catching whatever guys you know are carrying around because they're little sluts all these men are sluts right there's an episode where miranda she actually has chlamydia miranda Miranda? <laughs> um, she has chlamydia and she's got a, like, her doctor tells her to write out the list of all the men she's fucked. And uh -oh. it's like pages and pages long and she's like calling all these people. And she's like having to tell them that like, you should go get checked. I have chlamydia and I, we slept together, blah, blah, blah. Oh man. And, like finally, like she tells this one guy that she has chlamydia and he's like, yeah, I know I had it too. And she's like, oh, well then maybe you're the one that gave it to me. And like, he was like being such a dick about it. God yeah. damn. That whole fucking, I fucking love that show. I love that show. It just challenges the double standard and it's, it's great. What we just said, the girls were primarily concerned going back to the study that this woman did on these 14 college women. They're, they're concerned about STIs, unwanted pregnancy, the risk of emotional trauma. Um, they were also afraid of sexual intimacy. Some did find that they could use sex to handle certain situations, such as to solve a fight with a boyfriend. How many of us had had the uh pity sex or like the sex to just get over the fight or just move on like right move it's on like, yep like, it was like, the eraser up. let's just start over pick up sex right let's a little brush brush under the rug sex brush that issue under the rug it'll come out later in another fight so <laughs> yeah totally so, you know that's just how we've used sex in the past but by the end of sophomore year their attitudes towards sex had changed after a few casual encounters or short-lived relationships most of the women became comfortable even confident with sexual intimacy the girls hadn't formed any sort of real desires or ideals of sex more so uh, quote sex signified or cost less than it used to such that it was easier to imagine or actually have i don't know what that's implying uh, uh, maybe like the birth control or the uh plan um not plan b is that what it's called morning after oh, yeah. pill yeah 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 maybe. maybe um it says this might sound like an improvement but it's merely a lessening of the psychological detriment assigned to young women by society everyone should feel free to desire sex and to act on those desires so long as it doesn't cause harm to anyone else right Hell yeah. it's kind of like being a witch yep and what what's the the wiccan read and do, harm none do, do what, what you will harm none you will and yeah yeah Take no it's the same it's the same thing as long as you're not hurting anybody mm -hmm. do what you want and it's consensual and it's consensual exactly we have a legal age that too that's important <laughs> <laughs> um so the women in the study also learned over time and experienced that sex can be separate from romance and after college that 
quote, college romance was unstable and college men were unreliable, mm. end quote. In a sense, young women's ideas of sexuality and their role in it evolve over time. The conclusion of the study is tragically put that, quote, young women must constantly negotiate who they are and what they stand for sexually and otherwise in relational systems for which terms are almost invariably set by the imperatives of dominant masculinities, end quote. There's two more paragraphs. Um, so female writer Diablo Cody broke boundaries when Megan Fox, yeah, it was Jennifer, but Jennifer, bleh, Jennifer's body, what we were talking about before. Um, uh, Megan Fox's title character defended her promiscuous behavior in the culturally hip horror comedy film Jennifer's Body by saying, quote, you are such a player hater, end quote. Such a predominantly masculine statement coming from a strong female character puts cultural sexual issues in perspective. In the film, Jennifer feels empowerment by seducing the men she's attracted to. This behavior leads her to become a demonic succubus who then preys on men in a fatalistic sense. I need to when watch this movie. You never seen it? I've never seen it. It's pretty it's pretty good. It's pretty funny. Okay. okay. Um when protagonist needy uh, uh when protagonist needy confronts her uh, you're killing people, Jennifer replies. No, I'm killing boys. <laughs> yeah, I've seen that one. No, I'm killing boys. Yeah. This revolutionary character reverses traditional gender roles, going so far as to say that boys aren't people. At one point, Jennifer tells her, PMS isn't real. Uh, PMS isn't real, Needy. It was invented by the boy-run media to make us seem like we're crazy, end quote. Jennifer feels that even in the rise of equality, she is still living in a world that was shaped by men. While Jennifer engages in sexual activity with multiple partners, there is a certain beauty in that she doesn't worry about what people think, and no one condemns her personal choices. Of course, Jennifer is another victim of Leslie Bell's spitting. She shuts out any ideas of a stable relationship for fear of losing her strength and independence. So in closing, society as a whole needs to change its perception of gender roles in order to properly accommodate female sexual agency. Quote, currently the default framework equates healthy adolescent female sexuality with no sex or traditionally scripted sex, end quote. That's just not okay. It's not fair. It's not equal. Equality is something that should have no limits. Men and women need to be treated as equals in every way, including sexuality. Until that happens, and it may be a very long time, or maybe fucking never the rate we're going, mm -hmm. uh, young women must somehow face the, that challenge alone and against the tide. Wow. So is splitting, so it says uh, she shuts out any ideas of stable relationship for fear of losing her strength and independence. So in a sense, that's Jillian. Oh, that right? did I say spitting? Yeah, splitting. Splitting. No, so yes, yeah, I said it incorrectly, splitting. No, no before I said spitting. Oh, you did? <laughs> yeah. Freudian slip. <laughs> All right. God. All right. Anyway. We have just one little bit left. I could not find the author on this. Uh, it was just in a blog and it says, in praise of sluts, whores, and other promiscuous women. Um, this was much longer, so you can visit our show links to read the rest, but I just took bits and pieces here and there. Mm -hmm. So it says, does the concept of a slut or whore even make sense? Personally, this person doesn't think so. <laughs> okay, I'm going to read it how they wrote it. Okay. They say, heck, we can't even figure out what these terms actually mean. According to MiriamWebster.com, a whore is, quote, a woman who engages in sexual acts for money, prostitute, also a promiscuous or immoral woman. It is derived from the Old Norse from whore, H-O-R-R, -R, meaning adulteress. Oh, whore. Whore. 
Wait, the O has a, a line above it that has a specific yeah. name. I don't know what it is, though. Mm -hmm. But according to Wikipedia, on the other hand, the English word whore derives from the Old English word hora from the Proto-Germanic kahoran, which means prostitute, which derives from the Proto-Indo-European root ka, meaning desire, a root which has also given us the Latin caritas. Oh, the Latin caritas, love and charity. And the French cher, meaning dear or expensive. All right, come on, okay. that was pretty good. So, a good. whore is a woman who takes money for sex, or maybe she doesn't, or maybe she's an adulteress, or maybe she's just someone who is promiscuous, but regardless, she's someone whom we all desire. Clear as mud, ain't it? As for slut, Merriam-Webster says she is, quote, a promiscuous woman, especially prostitute again we seem a little unclear on the whole money piece and according to wikipedia although the ultimate origin of the word slut is unknown it first appeared in the middle ages in 1402 as slut uh, with the meaning and a dirty untidy or slovenly woman even earlier joffrey chaucer used the word sluttish in 1386 to describe a slovenly slovenly man however later use appears almost exclusively associated with women the modern sense of a, quote, sexually promiscuous woman dates to at least 1450. Another early meaning was kitchen maid or drudge, uh, circa 1450, a meaning, retain, uh, a meaning retained as late as the 18th century, when hard knots of dough found in bread were referred to as sluts pennies. Cute. What? That's adorable. That's really cute. So Lots a slut pens. may or may not have sex. She may simply be bred, she okay. may be just physically dirty, and she may or may not take money for any of the sex that she either does or does not have. This seems like Griffin Dunn talking. <laughs> <laughs> and until the mid-14th century, she might have even been a he, and now she is exclusively a she. I'm going to start calling Avi my bread slut. <laughs> he's, he's been back on that, that the sourdough, sourdough kick. Good yeah. for him. Uh, slut pennies. Yeah, sluts pennies. Penny. Use it. Funny. Unapologetically, quote, promiscuous. I They say, I think of, I think part of the antidote to all of the misogynist anti-sex poison is to hold up images of women who are unapologetically sexual, who are empowered, who don't care if they are seen by others as being promiscuous. Merriam-Webster rather conservatively defines promiscuous as not being restrict as, yeah, as being not restricted to one sexual partner. But I prefer another definition, the one that defines promiscuous as anyone who is having more sex than you are. Because that definition shows just how subjective and relative the term actually is. Throughout history, there have been women who have actively resisted society's attempts to control them, their bodies, and their sexuality. Women like the 19th century French novelist Amante Dupin, Amantine, Amantine Dupin, Dupin? I don't know. Amantine Dupin, who wrote under the pen name George Stan. Dupin had numerous male lovers and quite likely at least one lover who was female as well. She often dressed in men's clothing. Have you ever seen Victor Victoria with, uh, what's her name, who played in Sound of Music? Victor Victoria. I gotta watch that's not, the, that's not the story about Victoria's Secret. <laughs> no, 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 no. 
<laughs> no, I haven't. We'll, we'll continue forward. We'll get okay. this. She often dressed in men's clothes because of their practicality. And shockingly for the time, she also smoked tobacco in public. She was unapologetic about her lifestyle, even though she was harshly attacked for her behavior by the moralists of her time, who were not so different from the moralists of our time. Another prominently pro-sex woman was Mae West, an American stage and screen actress who boldly asserted her rights to have sex on her terms. As a young woman, she penned and staged a play that was actually called Sex. In 1927, it was shut down on moral grounds, and West was sentenced to jail for 10 days for harming the morality of the youth of New York City. But if anything, the morals change only in, uh, the morals charge? Charge. The morals... Yeah. The morals charge only emboldened her, and she made a career out of being daring. That's pretty, that's pretty, that is pretty daring for that time. That's bold. That's bold, yes, agreed. Yeah. Savage. So safe sex requires sexual safety. People who teach sexual health, health often focus on, quote, safer sex techniques, practices, and products. And while their work is absolutely essential, sometimes I feel there should be more attention in the work paid to issues of consent. Because mm -hmm. sex that isn't fully consensual isn't psychologically safe. It hurts people regardless of how much latex is involved. Yeah. And we also need to raise our field of vision and look around at the horizons that are present in our entire- Oh, hazards. Oh, thank you. I'll just say that over. And we also need to raise our field of vision and look around at the hazards that are present in our entire sexual environment as well. Our sexual environment is badly contaminated by puritanical patriarchal attitudes that attempt to strip women of their sexual power, with both the tragic and ironic. Tragic because the vast majority of, hu of humanity would, much, uh, would very much like to be able to fully embrace and thoroughly inhabit our sexual selves, but society tries to deny that right to women. How much sex any woman or man does or does not have is really no none of anybody's business but they say i believe in conform i believe that confronting a patriarchal society that attempts to control and or kill women's sexuality is my business because i need our society to be more sexually to be a sexually healthier place i need that for all of us but i especially need it for their daughter um, who will grow into a young woman and as she increasingly negotiates her way through the culture she will see how the term slut and a whore are used to bully, to brutalize, and to humiliate women and girls. We need to help to build a world where people of gender, of any gender, feel free to have just as much or as little sex, good sex, as they want. And by good sex, I mean that is, uh, oh, and by good sex, I mean sex that is enthusiastic, consensual, safe, and ethical. And they say ethical sex, according to Dossie Easton and Janet Hardy, huh? That hurt my mouth. Dosi Easton and Janet Hardy, the sexual libera liberationists who argue for reclaiming the term slut in their book, The Ethical Slut. The full title is Ethical Slut, A Practical Guide to Polyamory, Open Relationships and Other Adventures by Janet Hardy. Means, uh, means not deceiving anyone about your activities. You don't have to broadcast it to the world what you're up to, but don't lie about it either. Building such a world creates a social context where people of all genders, and again, this includes women, have the social permission to have a whole lot of sex with one partner or with many, or to have just a moderate amount of sex with a modest number of lifetime partners, even just one, or to not have sex with anyone else at all. 
and any uh, any choices that women makes hold on and any choices that a woman makes along that rich and varied continuum of humanity human sexuality need to be totally okay uh, without her having to encounter any kind of judgment or criticism from anybody yeah i think we so need to restart go. so we can oh shit i know right. i was so close at the house on magnolia street would you go down to magnolia street when the mysterious hero wilds and the house of magic and mystery so would you go down to magnolia street this uh latte is giving me gas